much. That is a really nice little intro there. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Um, I wanted to start, I, there, a lot of people have kind of reached out to me and they're like, what are you going to teach on? Which one of your wait what's are you going to teach on? And uh, I prayed about this a lot, about what to teach on today. And for those of you who are newer and haven't seen me teach one in those, one of the wait what installments, I'm just going to explain to you what that is. Um, a wait what is a maybe confusing or unclear a scripture in the Bible, something that's troubling, where you know people may tend to go, wait, what did that just say? That's where that came from. And what we've been doing in those, if we've been covering these particular topics, these scriptures, not only talking about them as far as like teaching on them, but I like to be able to share study strategies so that it can help people in their own study. Because the whole idea is not for me to do all of that. It's for you guys to be able to do that for yourself as well and to feel comfortable that you understand how to study something out even when there is not a clear-cut answer. And sometimes, no matter how much you study it out, people come down on different sides of a certain subject. So I have an amazing list of those wait what moments. The Bible has a lot of them, you know, and... um, But the Holy Spirit really, really came down and just laid out for me that um, the scriptures that we're about to move in to in Mark about when Jesus chooses his first disciples, that they really lay well with this Compassion International Sunday that we're having and that that should be where I teach from. And so I think we all know that when the Holy Spirit lays something out for you, you go with that, right? That that's the right choice. So that's what I'm going to be teaching about uh, and from today is from Mark. A little short recap for you from what Bob taught on last week is that he talked about the temptations that Christ faced in the wilderness with Satan. So if you missed that, because I'm not going to go over those pieces again, uh, because again, the Holy Spirit has given me something very specific to teach on, Uh, Make sure that you check out our YouTube channel, our Facebook Live videos. Uh, From the website, you can link to audio podcast or our web player. All of that is available for you to be able to see. Um, When we teach, I believe every message can stand alone because every page, every word of the Bible has something for us. But there's something very powerful when you're studying, especially you're studying a book, to have that context and that building knowledge to see where things tie together. So it's very powerful to not have any gaps in that. And so I, I just encourage you, if you get the opportunity and you have missed any in this or any series, go back and look at what we have there so that you can listen to those and, and make sure that you aren't missing something amazing that God has for you. Um, Another thing that Bob talked about last week that I wanted to touch on is he talked about translations, Bible translations, and that some translations consider older manuscripts more uh, accurate than newer manuscripts. So to be clear, when I say newer, you know, we're talking ancient. There's just really ancient and a little less ancient, right? Okay, we're not talking about somebody who's just thrown something on their printer and that's a new manuscript. We're talking about ancient manuscripts. And one of the reasonings behind that was that an older manuscript would not have had the opportunity to have anything be added to it. 
So in some of the translations, and Mark is one of those, or is it like even at the very end of Mark, there is a section that depending on your translation is either not there or it's bracketed. And it notes that older translations or older manuscripts may not have this part included. Now I think that you need to feel comfortable that you know, first of all, why that might be, which we've just kind of talked about, so that you can make that decision. It doesn't mean your whole translation, you either have to ditch it or not. It means that you're aware of that, that if somebody asked you about why that is, you could talk to them about that and feel confident that you have a credible answer to that and feel confident for yourself whether or not you believe it belongs there based on the, the translation, what you believe is a correct translation. So one of the things that I've noticed, if you study out of parallel translations, which you should, you should be studying out of more than one translation out of the Bible. You can go on Bible Hub, you can go on the U version, and you can see so many different translations of the Bible so that you can look verse to verse. And you might see certain things that are different, such as things that are word-for-word translations, phrase-by-phrase translations, translations that use more modern language to make it more readable. For instance, the NLT uses a more modern language to make sure that people current day have an easier flow reading it. They're trying to make it easy for people to read the Bible. But sometimes people can get a little bit caught up. Does that, does that mean then that it's not accurate? Does, is, this is where you use those different translations. If you've got concerns about that, these translations are amazing, but it's good to know what the philosophy is behind the translation that you're using. So an idea for you guys, whatever your main Bible is that you study out of, uh, see if it includes in that Bible, if you can look it up online, like mine in my Bible at the very beginning, there's a whole section that is devoted to the philosophy and the methodology of that translation. So they talk about um, the texts that are used, the translation process, translation issues that they faced, for instance, because they're trying to use more modern day language. Things such as um, adjusting weights and measures in a language that we might be able to understand because we might not know what a cubit is, right? So it, it makes it something that we would understand and then usually notes what the original language is. So that's an important thing to do. So I, I just wanna just encourage you guys to do that because the more you know about what you are studying from, the more you can make those credible, informed decisions about what you're studying out, what you believe is accurate, what you believe maybe you interpreted a little bit different. It's important to know that, and it's important to be able to talk to other people about that as well. So when we get into the first scriptures that we're going to talk about today, I mean, I know I give you that background, but it's so important when we study, and I want you to be thinking about those things. We're going to go into some scriptures that we see leading into Jesus choosing his first disciples. And there's a very short mention about John the Baptist being arrested. And true to form, Mark is concise and doesn't give as many details about this. Why? Bob taught on this. It was because Mark's focus was on what Jesus said, what his ministry was. It was not all the other things going around there. Because somebody like me, you know, I'd be going down that rabbit trail about why did John get arrested? What happened over here? And it's not to say you can't study that out, but Mark wanted your focus squarely on Jesus. 
So I'm going to read you this first scripture. This is uh, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Later on, after John was arrested, and that's all John gets in this particular book, right? Just before a, a, before a comma, and that's it. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. So Jesus is launching his ministry. That's the main focus. That was the, the focus that, John, that uh, Mark wanted on this. And so you really don't get much in the way of details. So for those of you who are like me who want to know those details, I'm not going to teach on it, but I am going to give you the reference so that you can look it up later. Uh, if you've got something to write with, it's Matthew 14, 1 through 12. It details about John's, uh, about John's arrest, John the Baptist's arrest. Um, it was a personal issue with Herod. Didn't well didn't end well for John at all. But you can go ahead, you can look that up later so you can fill in that gap. So again, our focus, the disciples, choosing the first disciples. What is a disciple? That's a question that comes up a lot. And I get a lot of people, myself included, that are like, apostles and disciples, are they the same thing? How does that work? What's the difference? Um, so we started with just looking up in the dictionary, definition of a disciple, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. And in this case, we're talking about Jesus and Christianity, spreading the doctrines of Christianity. So while a disciple is a student, we think about the word apostle. So apostle is a person who is sent to deliver the teachings to others. So it's similar to a disciple who assists in spreading this, right? But apostle in the broad sense, we look at it as a messenger, but in the narrow sense, we look at it as those 12 people who were directly linked to Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are some different schools of thought about the whole apostle thing. And there are some people who believe that we do have modern day apostles. From my study and what I have seen I believe it is more accurate that the title of apostle really belonged to those 12 that were directly linked to Jesus. But that, regardless of where you fall on that, that's, that really doesn't change what we're going into now. But I just want everybody to know that whatever you think, it's okay. Everybody just take a deep breath. We're fine. Um, and so we're just going to, to, again, focus on the disciples. So with that in mind, let's go to the next set of scriptures, which is Mark 1, 16 through 20. So one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, because I can't help myself, I have to throw out a fun fact. Who knows the nickname that Jesus gave to James and John? Sons of Thunder. That's right. That's right. And for those of you who did not know that, and you're like, Sons of Thunder? That sounds exciting. How did they get that nickname? You guys need to go look it up. I'm just saying, you need to study it out. If you're online or you have my email, you tell me what you came up with because I'm not going to tell you. The Bible is amazing. It's so awesome. So much we could talk about in this scripture. So much that is in there. And 
it's tough for me sometimes not to try to go everywhere at once, but I'm on pole mark, and I'm going to keep my focus where the Holy Spirit told me to keep it. And I'm just going to tell you guys, just because you study Mark once doesn't mean that you're done with Mark. The same with every book of the Bible. Every time you study, there is more and more that the Holy Spirit reveals to you, more depth, more meaning. So don't ever give up. Don't ever give up in your study. Just, just hang in there and allow yourself to let him lead you into those focuses one step at a time. So what I wanted to say as far as the disciples, I wanted to point out that Jesus didn't just grab these guys and say, you're going to be fishers of men. Good luck with that. See ya. He invested in them. He took it so seriously. He stayed with them every step of the way. He didn't search out people with elite sets of skills. He searched out just these men in regular jobs. But these were people who said yes who said yes to following him. Essentially, they were taking a lengthy, unpaid internship with Jesus. That's how that worked. But he taught them, and he modeled, and he trained them. He invested them even as, in them even as he was moving into his ministry. He had a big job ahead of him. But he didn't take lightly those people that were following him and what they needed to know. He showed them how to act in humility, he showed them how to share the good news. They got to see him teach. They got to see him interact with people to show compassion. They got to see him perform miracles, which helped them believe in those miracles. He allowed them to try, try these things on his own. He allowed them to fail. How many times do we see where um, the disciples say, oh my gosh, look at all these people again. How are you going to feed them right after Jesus has just fed, you know, and Jesus is like, oh my gosh, how many times, guys, how many times do you have to see this? But he knows they're human. He knows this is beyond the normal understanding of just a mere man and that it is going to take intentionality and time and investment in order for them to be able to really stick with it, to be able to see the ultimate victory that he had at the end and to take that burden of being a disciple and playing it out until their deaths. And not everyone who followed Jesus stayed with him, but everyone that did was at least given that chance. Why is it important for us to do our part? Well, scripture has the answer to that as well. We're in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. There's 11 at this point because Judas has betrayed Jesus. Going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So teach these new disciples. They were disciples. They were teaching new disciples. And it just keeps expanding out from then. That's why it's important for us to do our part of this because Jesus wasn't just talking to them then. He's talking to us now and what we can do to disciple others. 
That's what happens when we take the Great Commission, which this is known as, seriously. We give people a chance. We see in the Bible that not even Jesus had a 100% success rate with disciples. Judas betrayed him, and there were many other disciples that followed him along the way that got to a point that said, this is so hard. How are we supposed to even understand what he's saying? And some of those disciples left him. So if Jesus did not even have a 100% success rate, he certainly does not expect that we will have a 100% success rate. We are responsible for our part, the part that the Holy Spirit has called us to, the part that God has burdened our hearts for, but we are not responsible for the final outcome. We love family, we love friends, we want people to have that amazing experience with Jesus. So we are to spread that good news, but we are not responsible for whether or not that person accepts that. We're not responsible for whether or not they decide to step forward with you, but you're planting that seed. You are giving them that chance. God allows us to be part of that, part of that amazing miracle of discipling others to give them that chance. So we have this opportunity, opportunity daily, regardless of our means. In the video they talked about, they didn't consider what they had a lot, but they knew it mattered what they did with what they have. And that can mean a lot of different things. But when we're investing in others, we can teach, like I'm teaching from a pulpit right now, but you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're teaching your kids. If you have friends, you're, you could maybe be teaching your friends and and you know, getting in a little Jesus in all your little conversations with them and testing those waters and getting planting those seeds um, to the point where hopefully they would get where they trust you and they want to ask you more questions. You can mentor somebody. Uh, you know, that seems like a big word, but it's, it's really spending time and investing time in somebody um, to help them along with something. And in this case, it could be their faith study. If you are in a study, especially if you're in a study with new believers, think for a moment how it was when you came to Christ. So some people grew up in the church always being believers and they're very comfortable in that. But for people who have come to the Lord later in life, it can be so confusing. They're like, I don't even know what these words mean. What's a translation? You mean there's one, more than one translation of the Bible? It could be very daunting and very overwhelming, which in then in turn becomes an obstacle. You can take the knowledge that you have in a study and share that with them. Let them know about resources. Help them study the Bible so that they can become um, more comfortable and then they in turn could do the same for somebody else. We talk about um, sponsoring a kid at Compassion International. So we might invest in our sphere of influence. When you sponsor a child, you're investing in a sphere of influence in a different country. In my mind, I picture it as little pinpricks of light all over a map around the world that continues to spread and spread and spread. But it doesn't have to be something like that. Again, I understand that, that 
we tend to overcomplicate things. We tend to make things more difficult than they need to be. When we think of raising people up to be fishers of men, you know, often we think about that in the way of vocational ministry. But what if raising up fishers of men was just living a life that is a testament to the glory of God, the power of Jesus in somebody's life? It doesn't have to be vocational ministry. Having Jesus in your life is, is a light that is unmatched to anything else that I have ever seen or ever known. Worship team, you can come on up. So I know that this message is a little different than how I normally teach, but this is, the Holy Spirit was so clear. And so this is where I want to end it because I don't want a rabbit trail and I don't want something else confusing what we were talking about today, about discipling others. And I would just ask that you think about how you can, in your life, in your sphere of influence, with your means, with your gifts, how you could disciple another. And I would say, just start. Pray, pray about it. And just start wherever God tells you and then go wherever God leads you because he will not leave you hanging. One of the things that we talk about in prophetic ministry is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit gives you a word and you're obedient to speak out that first thing that he tells you to share, he brings you something else from there and something else from there. And it's no different here. If you're obedient with what the Holy Spirit tells you, when he highlights somebody for you to disciple, he will give you those next steps. He is so, so faithful in that way. And we don't have to complicate it. We just have to start. So we're going to go into communion. And when we do that, I want you guys to be praying about that. Thank Jesus that you probably had somebody in your life that discipled you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. And just ask the Lord how you can be that to somebody else. There are a few different ways that we can do communion. We've got at the crosses, we've got uh, gluten-free crackers, we have bread, we have juice. Up at the front here, Jim and Sandy are gonna serve communion and they've got the same things, but they have wine. And we just invite you to be part of that and invite you to ask the Lord to just highlight to you what that means for you and just know again that he's so faithful. You just need to do your part. And that is all that you're responsible for. That's all he asks of us. And I'm so grateful that he lets us be part of that amazing miracle. Amen. Thank you so much, guys.